another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm Kara Whitaker, your host. We are two episodes into a series called Hope in the Midst of Disappointing Circumstances. And if you've tuned into the previous episodes, I don't know about you, but I am loving this series. We have been drawing from Isaiah 49, a different section. It's a fairly lengthy passage, so we've been drawing from a different section of of Isaiah 49 in each episode. And episode one, we focused on meaningful work. And if you're in a place where you're disappointed with where God has you work-wise, or you just feel like everything you do is just in vain for nothing at all, this is... um, This episode looks at a biblical definition of work and how we can be encouraged and find hope, even if we're not necessarily happy with the place God has us, the workplace we're in, etc. Episode two, we focused on how God nourishes our souls, how God leads us like a loving shepherd in our Christian walks, and how he loves us so much that he provides for us along the way and gives us what we need to keep going. And again, just looking at even when we're in the most barren of places, whether that be a place of grief, a place of suffering because of, you know, maybe a health issue, relationship issue, culmination, financial issues, whatever it is that um, God provides nourishment for us. He feeds our souls so that we have what we need to be sustained. In this episode, I want to focus on a different idea. We'll still be drawing from Isaiah 49. And again, if you haven't read that passage before, it may be helpful to to go back. I've provided the links on the article. You can check it out, BeulahGirl.com. But the links are all there if you want to check out the Bible references. But just to kind of get the gist of the verse, it might be helpful to go and look at it. But we'll be looking at Isaiah 49, 11, and just the idea that God can turn our obstacles into roads, that anything that's hindering us, that's standing in our way, nothing is too big for God. And that he can use even those things that look insurmountable. He can make those into a passable um, way for us because that's what God um, does, what he can do. And looking at the idea that nothing is impossible for God. My kids love the animated movie Trolls, and they recently discovered the cartoon version on Netflix. And particularly my youngest, Ansley, she likes to, well, tell me what she wants to watch during the day. But frequently, I'll turn that on for her while I'm doing some housework downstairs. And I'll catch a few minutes of, you know, different episodes here and there. But there was one particular episode that she was watching recently that caught my interest and in it one of the main characters is poppy and she's like queen of the trolls and then there's another main character and he's branch and they are good friends but they also kind of have a interest in each other but it's never progressed to anything other than friendship and branch is the cautious you know everybody is gonna die we have to be cautious kind of troll and poppy is more the open-hearted trusting of everyone they are different but they complement each other but in this particular episode cloud guy another he's a cloud um and he is kind of a contentious character and he and branch do not get along but anyway 
cloud guy finds branches journal somehow and finds written in branches journal how branch does have some feelings for poppy and wants to hug her on this special hug day that they have now trolls hug all the time they love to sing dance hug they're happy but they have a special day called hug day where you reserve your hug for one special troll and so in the journal branch is just talking about how he wants to you know save his hug for her cloud guy gets a hold of this journal and basically tells branch that he's going to share these intimate details from his journal branch's journal with the whole troll village if branch does not teach him how to win the affections of a lady because cloud guy says he needs some help in that area branch is known for being very poetic being able to speak you know exactly what a, a lady wants to hear and so branch agrees because he does not want his journal to get out in public and everybody to know what he's written about poppy so he teaches cloud guy some of the tricks of the trade how to um to say the right things to um, a woman how to be a gentleman and cover a mud puddle for her to walk over some of those things and spends a lot of time teaching cloud guy everything he knows and then when the teaching sessions are up he expects cloud guy to go and find you know the cloud lady that he's interested in and start using some of these tips that branch has given him but that's not what happens at all cloud guy actually says well i'm actually like poppy and i'm going to use some of these tricks of the trade that you've given me on her and branch's mouth just drops open because he feels so betrayed the cloud guy knows that branch is interested in poppy and you know cloud guy's not even a troll and so he's not too happy about it and so it begins sparks this competition between the two of them really to get poppy's attention and suddenly branch has this new motivation to win her hug on hug day and really to make known to her that he has feelings for her and at the end of hug day when poppy agrees to hug branch um, cloud guy basically turns to branch and says you know you're welcome the only reason i was acting interested in poppy i really have no interest in poppy was just to give you a little extra motivation so in other words cloud guy really was just pretending to be interested in poppy because he knew if he did that it would make branch who's naturally a little more cautious and introverted come out of his shell and actually tell her some things that he wouldn't have told her if he didn't have that extra push and it kind of got me thinking about how sometimes our hardships or the things that just irritate us in our life that those things can actually serve to propel us or move us to do things that we wouldn't normally do if we didn't have those little irritations those difficulties pricking us into action i can think about one season of my life where god put me in a situation where before i was in a situation he had told me that i was going to be used in a certain area going to be used in music and then i got in this situation where i kind of expected to just like 
you know, no doors in front of me, just streamlined straight to, to the top type of thing. And I got in a situation where I was very humbled because I was actually in a situation where I wasn't the top dog, where there was somebody else that was, um, used frequently for solos and things. And I really wasn't utilized all that often. And in that season, that difficulty, God had some things he was wanting me to do. He was working on some, some, you know, a, some habits in my life that I didn't know were there revealing to me some, some things. And he used that very tough situation to prick me into action that basically I knew that I wasn't going to have see any changes until I started doing the things God wanted me to and working on character and things. And that difficult situation that irked me was actually a kindness um, that God allowed that because it spurred me on to do what I needed to do in that situation. Isaiah 49 11 says this, I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. If we look at the context of this passage, the Israelites are being led home from Babylon um, into Israel. They have been exiled for 70 years and they went into exile because they had been warned over and over. They had turned to idolatry. They had rebelled against God and God had warned them, but they did not listen to the warnings and they were exiled. But God in his loving kindness allowed them to come back home after a seven year, 70 year period. And in Isaiah 49, we see, um, here that the captives are being led home. And part of the way that they're going to be led is there's going to be some mountains, um, that are standing in their way, but it just says, I will turn these into roads and all my highways will be raised up. So we get this image. If you look earlier in the passage, and I've talked about this in the previous episode, we get this image of God as this loving shepherd leading his people home and he's taking care of their every need. He's providing for them. He's um, taking care of them. And also even the obstacles that stand in front of them, he's turning into roads. Now, I want you to observe two things. Now, I've talked about the captives coming home, but I should also say that these words are not only representative of the captives, but also of Christians on their spiritual walks with Jesus. So this is also speaking to us. And there are two observations I want to make. First, um, we can't help but notice that the mountains say my before them. So it says in the passage, I will turn all my mountains into roads. And at times, the difficult situations that are so disappointing and discouraging that we wish to escape are those God placed in our path because he knows what is needed to form us into the person we are meant to be. As I just gave you the example of the music situation. Obviously, there are times when obstacles exist in our lives for other reasons that, you know, we live in a fallen world. So we constantly have challenges we're dealing with, or we, you know, Satan can afflict us, or we put sometimes erect our own obstacles. There are reasons that we can have hindrances um, things that stand before us. But this passage, it says my mountains. So whether, um, God has put the obstacle there or the obstacle is there that we've put, um, there of our own making, whatever the case, the passage tells us God is able to make what stands before us into a way. Everything is under God's sovereign control and he can make whatever stands before us into a possible 
road. So that's the first observation. The second one, this is really what I would consider the piece de resistance of, of this small verse here. The, you know, frequently when I'm studying a verse, there will be one idea that will just split it wide open for me or make it so clear. And there was just one idea that was an aha moment for me. And when I originally looked at this wording, I just, you know, it didn't strike me really what the meaning was right away. But I did think that the wording was really odd. It says, I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. And I thought, wow, you know, what does this mean? Turning mountains into roads. Like I know this has a really important meaning, but what is it? And it dawned, you know, and I was just kind of praying through. And then it dawned on me that there was a really significant idea we need to get from this when it says, I will turn all my mountains into roads. It doesn't say that God will remove the mountains. He doesn't say that he took the people around the mountains. They were led up to the mountains and then they were led through the mountains, we can say. And I mean, you can... You can interpret this different ways and different scholars say different things, but they were led up to and through. The mountains were made into roads. And I think that that's so important because God can remove our obstacles and sometimes he does, but sometimes he leads us straight through our impossibilities and he makes a way through them. I want to just read to you from F.B. Meyer. He's a British pastor and author in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but he says this, we all have mountains in our lives. These are the people and things that threaten to bar our progress in the divine life. Patience can only be acquired through such trials as now seem unbearable. Submit thyself, claim to be a partaker in the patience of Jesus. Meet thy trials in him. Thus shall the mountains that stand between thee and thy promised land become thy way to it. Note the comprehensiveness of this promise. I will make all my mountains away. The promise is in the future tense. When we come to the foot of the mountains, we shall find the way. So what Myers is saying is when we meet our trials in Jesus, the very mountains that bar our progress are those that God uses to make a way for us. So he's just talking about this idea. And one of the stories that came to mind as I was writing this was that of U.S. figure skater Scott Hamilton. Obviously, he doesn't skate for the Olympics any longer, but he, um, you know, has gone on to, he, he formed, I think, um, a professional ice skating traveling show. He's, he's come, you know, been a commentator for the Olympics. Um, he has a foundation for cancer research. He's done a lot of things. And if you just look him up, Google him, if you've never read anything about him, that he has a very interesting story. Scott Hamilton was adopted when he was a child and he had, he's had a whole lot of health problems. In fact, he's had three brain tumors and he's had also testicular cancer. And if you look at his story, when he was a child, his growth was inhibited by an illness. He was ill, but they didn't know what was wrong with him. It wasn't discovered until later that he actually had a brain tumor and that that inhibited his growth, but they didn't know that when he was a child. So they, they knew he had this illness and he saw doctors, but they didn't really know what was wrong with him. And they actually misdiagnosed him, 
but it was discovered later that it was actually a tumor. But because, you know, of everything that happened in his childhood, he got into skating and had he not had this tumor that was, that was inhibiting his growth, he probably wouldn't have gone into skating and done so well in it. Part of the reason he's such an incredible skater is he's only 5'4". He's so nimble and just, if you've ever watched him skate, it's just effortless. I mean, he just flips around. He does this backflip that um, he just makes it look absolutely effortless. And he's like a gymnast out on the ice. And he's just this small, you know, short little guy, 5'4". But he says this, um, he has since become a Christian as an adult, but he says this about um, his entrance into skating and his brain tumor. He says, who would I be without a brain tumor? I'm 5'4". If I were 5'8", I would have grown those years to 5'10". Where would I be? Who would I be? I could choose to look at at it as debilitating. I could choose to focus on the suffering. I choose to look at that brain tumor as the greatest gift that I've gotten because it made everything else possible. So in other words, Hamilton acknowledges the mysterious illness he had as a child that was a brain tumor was the avenue which opened up for him ice skating and all that came with it. It wasn't until he was an adult and was diagnosed that, of course, he was able to um, discover just what was going on with him in childhood, but he says that his brain tumor made everything else possible. And though Hamilton didn't come to know the Lord till later in his life, might we say that the difficulties placed in his life have helped him become what he was meant to be? That's a hard thing to look at, but not only getting into skating, but he has been able to, he has this international platform and he talks very openly about his faith. And he also helps others through his cancer foundation and so forth. And might we say that some of the difficulties that he's faced have actually ushered him into the very thing that he was always meant to do and be? No one likes pain. We despise it. We run from it. It's not fun. But sometimes our suffering and the different obstacles we encounter are set in our path by God because he knows what is needed to further our development. I just want to be really clear. I've mentioned Scott Hamilton. I don't know why he's had the health challenges he's had. Again, we could say, okay, Satan put that in his life. We could say, okay, we live in a fallen world. He just, you know, when it comes to his health, he just happened to have these tumors. I don't know. But what I do know is God allowed them. And God allows what he does in our lives. And he can use all things for our good in the story he is writing in our life. Romans 8, 28 tells us. So the very difficulty we want removed may be the pathway God uses to take us where we need to go. And it can be really terrifying to look at the idea that God allows or even places difficulty in front of us. We might say, you know, what kind of loving God does that? And we can also get a little bit too far along this path and say, well, God's punishing me because of this. Well, God doesn't punish us. If we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus has taken the punishment for us. God does discipline us. Um, You can check out, I've written about this past articles, talked about it on this podcast. God does at times chastise us and mold us and, and help us grow and teach us through suffering and affliction. But we have to be careful and, and not go too far and say, well, God's just punishing me. Um, he does use difficulty in our life and allows it. And I don't know that I understand fully 
And I don't know that any of us do fully, you know, why we have certain things that we do in our life. But when we examine the difficulty in a life such as Scott Hamilton's and see what good has come out of the challenges he's encountered out of his control, we can say that it is a kindness that God has allowed what he has. Certainly, again, difficulties can exist for many reasons, um, but God can use those difficulties in his ultimate plan for our life. We can't get away from the truth in Isaiah 49 that God cared for the captives every need and led them tenderly like a shepherd, though their path did lead to mountains and barren places. And I want to just draw one other idea from the passage that as I was doing some notes, even this week and finalizing some things with this episode, it just hit me like a a ton of bricks. And I wanted to share it with you. Not only does God make our obstacles or can make our obstacles into roads, but there's also another idea I want to point out to you. In verse um, 10, one verse earlier in, in Isaiah 49, it says about the captives. Again, it's talking about them being led from Babylon back to Israel. It says they will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. That's the NIV. But if you read it in the King James, it says this, they shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. And to smite something is to destroy it. You know, you often hear about someone, you know, smite, you know, smiting. I think that's the word smite. He, um, their enemies. I mean, they're talking about literally destroying them. And I'm not really familiar with this word. So you have to look up if you'd say smote or smiting or what the exact correct tense is, but just the idea of smite to smite something is to destroy it. And commentator Matthew Henry explains this, those that under that are under divine protection because they have gone God's way will be enabled to bear the burden and heat of the day. What he's saying there and, and what just really hit me is that we may have the heat of the sun Okay, we may have a fierce sun in our lives, right? But God will not allow it to smite us. So in other words, that he will give us the strength to bear what is in our lives and protected from that which God knows would easily destroy us. Because so many times I think we we can be in a place where it's difficult and the obstacles are great and we can just say, Lord, I cannot take this. I cannot bear this another day. But this idea that those of us that walk with God, and it's not perfectly, but those of us who have made him our savior, we're attempting to hear his voice. We follow him. He cares for us so much that even the hard things that are just burning fiercely down on us, like a hot sun, that they are not going to destroy us that God knows just the perfect heat to allow to bend us and mold us into what we were designed to be and what will best make us reflect his character. But we can rest assured that this will not break, break us to the point of utter destruction. It may break us, but it will break the things in us that need to be broken and, and, and form us into what we need to be. And that can be so hard to look at. But those difficulties 
can be the very things God uses to further our progress and to further what he's trying to do in our lives. Elsewhere in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, it tells us that the yoke Jesus gives us is easy in the burning light. So if you're in a place where it just feels like too much and you don't see a way through, you can rest assured here that God's assurance for the Israelites and us as Christ followers in this passage is that he makes a way through our difficulties when we turn to him for our help and aid and he doesn't give us that which will destroy us. And we have to look at too is that whatever it is that God is hoping to work in us, maybe it wouldn't even be possible without that difficulty. For instance, if you look at the example of the Israelites up against the Red Sea, when God brought them to the Red Sea, there were other routes that they could have gone to get to the promised land. He led them straight up to the Red Sea where there were there were mountains and, and rocks on, on um, their sides. And then there was the sea in front of them. And then there, were, there was Pharaoh advancing with his army behind them. And they were literally trapped. And yet, at the right moment, God made a way, not around the sea, but through it. And the, his people learned t- t- an important lesson about trust there because they were terrified. And if they hadn't been led up to that Red Sea, they would not have learned that lesson about trust. And similarly, would we really learn what we need to if God didn't allow what he has in our life? So in conclusion, as I'm wrapping up here, I want to talk about how we can scale our mountains. Um, I mentioned the quote from F.B. Meyer, meeting our trials in Jesus. And that can sound, I love the quote that I, that I love what he says, but that can sound a little bit churchy, a little bit like religious talk. What does it even mean to meet our trials in Jesus? Well, first we cast our cares on Jesus. We don't carry those things. We, we cast what is weighing us down on Jesus. And we do that by spending time with him, by telling him what's bothering us, by asking for his help. And next, we trust his direction. When he tells us where to go, we trust it and we follow it. I love this picture I got recently. I read um, a couple months ago, She's Still There by Crystal Evans Hurst. And it's just a book, if you um, need a rescue, feel like you've forgotten who you are, what your dreams are, you know, what God has made you to, to be. It's just a book for rescuing. It says on the cover, rescuing the girl in you. But anyway, in this book, she describes her grandmother having her leg amputated and having to learn how to walk on a prosthetic leg. And her grandmother had to practice after she got her leg amputated, had to practice walking on this prosthetic leg. She was in a wheelchair. And so every day, at the doctor's orders, she had to get up, strap on this leg, walk around with the walker, and really work at getting mobile again. And it would have been much easier for her to stay in that wheelchair. But she knew that in order to walk, that she had to work at it. And we too have areas where God is working on us and making stronger. And so scaling our mountains Each directive God gives us is around out of the wheelchair walking with a walker, particularly if the mountains are there because they're of our own making. If we have a mountain that's like fear or pride or self-reliance, that he will give us hard things to do and he'll walk us straight through 
whatever that one thing is that we is bogging us down, is impeding our progress, he'll take us straight through it. But it's not comfortable. It's not easy. And yes, God can remove it. I've heard stories of people being healed from addictions and their fears and everything with one prayer at the altar, um, one one you know encounter with God at 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 a at a retreat or or something. I mean, those amazing things can happen. And God doesn't work the same way in every single, you know, he he varies the way that he that he ministers to us. But just from my own experience, I know that a lot of the things that I've struggled with that have the mountains I've dealt with that have been of my own making many times that God has led me through those step by step with just again, just a little directive that I have to follow. And then once I do that, there's another step. And these are things that make me very uncomfortable, make me do the thing that I don't want to do. And particularly fear has been an issue for me. So if you want to get through a mountain of fear, you have to do that, which for me, I've, you know, it's, I have, I don't enjoy talking, um, necessarily to out witnessing in public is very difficult for me, but I know it's what I need to do. And so God will just give me little, little assignments and I have to walk through those. And we, we will conquer our mountain when we follow step by step at his command. And we might say, God, take this away. Can't you just remove this? I just want you to eliminate this. If it's an addiction, if it's a sin habit, we may say, God, just take it away. Sometimes he does, but often he heads, you know, he, he leads us in a way where we we overcome it day by day, just slowly following after him. And on our journeys, I mean, he'll pick that thing that we can never conquer on our own, that thing that's impeding our progress, so that at the end we'll be able to say, you know, God did this, God brought me through. So if God has placed your mountain there, or you have mountains before you of your own making, he can make a way through. Isaiah 49, 11 tells us, our only hope is him. We can't do it. The mountains are too steep and too high, but Jesus knows the way he's going to make a way. Nothing is impossible, or we should say in this case, impassable um, for him. So we just have to follow step by step. Let's just go ahead and pray. And before I do, I just really want to encourage you to check out also next week, last episode, which will be on the love of God, the amazing love of God that never leaves. Let's pray. Dear Lord, that some of us listening to this have some major obstacles in our life that are impeding our progress to where you want us to go. And Lord, we may be stuck in in habits. We may have things in our life we don't know how to get, get past. And Lord, you know the way. And you can make the things in our lives that are so hard, whether you've put them there or whether we've erected them or they exist because of the fallen world we live in, Lord, nothing can stand in the way of the plans you have for us. You will make a way through those. You are a God who made a way through the Red Sea for your people. You are a God who led your captives home from Israel and led them through um, mountains and made those into roads. You are a God who can either remove an obstacle or make a way through it. You have, there's nothing that's too hard for you. So Lord, when we're in a place where we know there's something standing in front of us, Help us to know that we can't do it in our own strength. We can't, you know, find our way around it. If we want to be in your will, Lord, if we want to continue to have your provision and blessing, Lord, that we 
need to follow in your way and turn to you and do what you tell us to do, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's crazy. Lord, your way is the only way to surmount our obstacles. Thank you, Lord. You love us enough that you don't leave us stuck. You, you rescue us from the mire and that you love us enough to help us keep going when, when we've gotten trapped behind mountains. In Jesus' name, amen.